This is the primal scream of a dying regime. Pray for our enemies, because we're going medieval on these people. Here's I got a free shot on all these networks lying about the people. The people have had a belly full of it. I know you don't like hearing that. I know you try to do everything in the world to stop that, but you're not going to stop it. It's going to happen. And where do people like that go to share the big lie? MAGA media. I wish in my soul, I wish that any of these people had a conscience. Ask yourself, what is my task and what is my purpose? If that answer is to save my country, this country will be saved. War Room. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome. Uh, War Room 27 May, Year of Alert 2023. Patrick K. Dowd. Now, Patrick K. O'Donnell, uh, the finest combat historian of his generation, is going to be with us on Monday. We do our, I don't think it's ninth or tenth year of doing the uh, Memorial Day special with, with uh, Patrick with me. And the reason we, I have Patrick is that he has either experienced himself as a combat historian assigned to the Marine Corps in Fallujah or done 4,000 hours of oral histories with the veterans of World War II before they passed away, or gone back and done really the most incredible primary archival research. And I'm talking about years, when he writes a book on the revolution or, or some of these uh, wars that you can't really do direct interviews, years of research and archives uh, to tell the story. Um, so we're not going to have enough time on Monday because we're going to really be uh, – packed with going through Arlington National Cemetery and going to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier and how the whole process started in France with, with the great battles. I want to spend an hour here, some time here today. First off, which because you know our audience has grown exponentially over time since so you join us, I want to make sure for people I haven't known from the previous years, give me your background. I mean, how, how, did, it, how did you arrive at, at a guy, and here's the reason that Patrick's so unique, and you can go to his, we'll put his website up and check his books. But he's got essentially first-person accounts of two of the most fascinating groups of really special forces in the revolution. Uh, and you, in, in, in these books in the revolution, you get the whole kind of sweep of the revolution all the way to a, um, a, a, a book in Fallujah, which up until Bakhmut, the biggest battle of the 21st century was the Battle of Fallujah. And you see it with a Marine rifle squad you're in in a first-person account, and he's actually – as a combat historian, not a journalist, not a war correspondent, but a combat historian is assigned to the rifle squad, and he's going house, he's going room by room, house by house in Fallujah itself, and the whole arc between that. And you've just spent, I'm not going to give away the book, but you've just spent years, as you do, doing something on the Civil War. So you have done every major conflict of American history and really have a first-person account. How, how did you get in? How, how did... Patrick K. O'Donnell, where did you come from? How did you get to be the leading combat historian of your generation? I uh, came from a blue-collar family in Ohio, and my interest in history began when I was about four. I was four. obsessed. Yeah, I had a library of hundreds of books, of, you know, hardcore books. I was I was kidding. When everybody else was getting the dinosaur book, I was I was getting this hardcore World War One book of photos. You know, I mean, I was obsessed, and my even, father even at that young yeah, age. Oh, absolutely. My my father would uh, take you know. I'd say, hey, can we go to the battlefield? 
He'd be like, oh, you've seen one, you've seen them all. I'm like, no. <laughs> so your father, this did not come from your father. Your no. father was not obsessed. He was not obsessed, but what he loved it? history. Right. But, but what was, was it that, what was it that I can't put it, I can't put it, I, I, I can't say. Just something I just, that was I was passionate inspired. about, yeah, I've always been this way um, since the beginning um, that I can remember pretty much. And um, I follow you through high school. And absolutely, I was I, I was I was building. My, I mean, I was I was a we were national champion wrestlers. I was wrestling all the time, but I was building scale dioramas. I was you know I had even more books. When I went to American, um, the first place we went to was the Aberdeen Proving Ground. I told my parents on our way down to D.C. We got to go because it at the time it had the largest collection of German armor in the world. And it was sitting out in a field, and I, mean, I had you know, they brought it back. From yeah, Germany. but World War Two, they had Tiger two tanks and Tiger ones. I mean, boom bars. They had Anzio Annie. I had to see. I was like, oh my god, it was in heaven to see that in American armor. You know, I was interviewing World War Two vets shortly after, right after college. I mean, uh, and when nobody else was doing it, at I was college. Were you also? Is, is I was your obsessed. Major? Yeah, and, and also finance. So I had business. I had a business background as well as history, and um, I've always been into it. And uh, my, my my thing has always been that first person account. The the my books are all small stories that tell the larger story, the small story of a small group of individuals that make a difference, that change the course of history in one way or another. And the thing about them, they're all ordinary men and women in this country yeah. that do extraordinary, they become extraordinary. Their units become elite units. They become extraordinary. One, they're training. Two, there's something inside these people that comes out. And what they do is is unbelievable. And it happens time and time and time again. I think that's what we honor. And, you know, this the weekend, and, uh, and I realize for most people it's become the kickoff of summer and all that, but the war room uh, posse is, is different. We we have to understand we anchor ourselves in these traditions. This goes back to ancient uh, Athens with Pericles's, uh, you know, the funeral oration to the dead of uh, of Athens during the Peloponnesian War. But it it goes like an unbroken chain throughout the West, and that's one of the things that you show, particularly in your the book that we'll go through in the what we'll go through on Monday Memorial Day when you talk about the unknown soldier in the tomb of the unknown and how that had antecedents in or precedents in, uh, in, 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 uh, in France, uh, in, uh, in other places. But so e- even in college, you were obsessed. You knew, did you know then this was going to be your life's work? No, I didn't. I just, I just kind of let things kind of fall into place. And, uh, I've been lucky in many ways. And I just, I followed my passion and, First thing I did is I started interviewing World War II vets. Well, how'd you do that? You got a writing gig to do that? Or you just started? No, doing I just started doing. A, I, I volunteered uh, to be purely. Volunteer, I, who did you volunteer with? Myself. No, no, no. I mean, was there an organization? No, just, no. You just I, said I'm gonna just go interview. Yeah, you and got the, the microphone on. Just yeah, go. I just did that, and I would go to the reunions, and then I, I created a website called the Drop Zone, which is the first virtual museum in oral history project. This is at the infancy of the internet. And um, I, I was gathering the stories when pretty much nobody else was. Was anybody else actually out there? I know Studs Terkel did it for the sure, good war, but, but was anybody else doing it systematically, going and talking to No, and my thing was the elite units, and it was the 101st Airborne, the 82nd. You know, I, I mean, my friends were the heroes of D-Day. And, uh, you know, it's just 
this is powerful, powerful to be able to talk to a guy that, you know, fought his way off of Omaha Beach, that laid, you know, the, the Bangalore torpedo that blew up the wire that allowed them to escape from the, the so, beachhead that changed two, the course of history. Only two types of people on this beach, the dead and those are going to die. Yeah, the I mean, general said when they were backs against the wall, that and, Bangalore and, torpedo. And how many men died? And rangers pregnant. lead the way. I yes. mean, I interviewed the guy that heard that. I mean, I know these, I knew these guys. Still, at this age, 101 years old, John Ron, still a good friend of mine, who's the, the oldest surviving ranger officer and probably the oldest surviving um officer from dog white and dog green beach uh living to this day i mean this generation the interesting thing about your oral histories the greatest generation was very stoic they were raised they never talked about i mean you went 20 or 30 years even when the longest day came out in 1961 i think nobody really i remember going with my you know my parents and going to all the reunions None of the veterans really talked about World War II. It was only much later when, when Brokaw did The Greatest Generation or things. It was only really in the 80s that anybody, when Reagan went and gave the famous speech, at point, the boys at Point to Hawk. But that generation was very stoic, right? They, they didn't talk about it a lot. Was it because the memories were too brutal or just that they were raised that they just didn't talk about things like this? I think it's a lot of things. I think it was definitely the, the memories were very brutal. Many of these, the the men that I interviewed were at the tip of the spear. They were either the airborne, parachuting in behind the lines of the Rangers. So they saw pretty much all of it. They were very stoic. And they also believed in kind of moving forward, especially when they came home. I'll never forget I interviewed many of the guys. are like, yeah, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to sit around and loaf. I'm going to get back to work. And uh, they hung up there. They didn't want to just like they didn't want to dwell hung, on hung it. in high school and they just talk about high school all the time. Yeah, they did, they, these guys were just like not looking in the rearview mirror. They were moving forward with when their they lives. came back from the war. Yeah, many of them. But you know what? You also saw, saw and, and I brought it out in my book Beyond Valor and many other books that I've written. There was a hidden war, and they suffered from PTSD just like any but other. But you didn't. Generation. But you didn't talk. They didn't talk about that. That no, was never for the most part. They didn't. But they, the, it, it resonated, and many of the many of the men also silently uh, suffered, or they dealt with it in their own way. Many of them were alcoholics, or was that part of? Do you think that that was part of the response that the the it had been so intense, and it wasn't a generation that could talk things out. <coughs> yeah, that, no doubt that, about it. That, that 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 they just went into themselves. Everybody like, has their own way of dealing with combat, and um, you know some people dealt with it in one way and another and others in another and that was but i would say by and large many of these men um would were mo moved on and uh just got back into life in one way or another and then it would be in many cases my interview would trigger a lot of the memories and they, they had, had never not, they had not gone back in detail no, talking they, no I would always ask him the, the questions the hard questions what's your most vivid memory what's your most what do you remember the most you know what and it would be stuff that nobody ever talked about it would be you know killing a prisoner for instance which is kind of like unheard of right that what we think of well, an American in, combat in, soldier in popular myth yeah, yeah right but, but probably much more prevalent. And it was in terms of, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with a, an airborne unit that's that's there is no enemy lines, basically. 
Um, but it it is what it is, and you know those those are some of the stories that came out, and they were powerful. I mean, how much was the, the how much was the um, that they had to prove them, so they were afraid of their of being a coward. How much was it that peer pressure was a big thing? Peer they pressure, were, but even maybe even to themselves. How much was how much was that fear that I've got? I don't know what I'm getting into, but I've got to be able to stand and deliver. I can't. I can't waver. Was that a big deal? For it them? was a big deal because um, everybody was a volunteer in these units, and the washout rate was high. And if you were there, you were special. Um, you know, they were often told that they could beat five guys. You know, and obviously a myth. But um, they believed in themselves that they could do extraordinary things. And it, it the legacy of these units, um, the American Airborne, for instance, in World War II, 101st Airborne, the 82nd, these are exceptional uh, units that have an incredible legacy of many presidential unit citations where they changed the course of battles, uh, uh, their actions alone. Uh, the, the, the story, stuff, story, and legend, it's incredible. But it all comes down to, in all your books, the small units where you said you tell the bigger story, the small unit cohesion, small units, the, it's all individuals. It's individuals in the, in the defining moment actually make, use their agency, make a decision, take action, and that action drives not just the story but drives the event to a different place. I, that's absolutely true. Uh, in, in each of these cases, it's that human element of of their training of whatever it is that that made them tougher. And I think that's what's so important even today is that human agency. But I, I fear that uh, technology, as we've seen over time, uh, will hinder that. It, you sound like Patton. Yeah, you sound like Patton at the end. Yeah. You thought that all valor and courage and nobility of combat would be taken away by modern technology. i tell you what, let's hold that. We'll get into that. Uh, I want to thank Patrick K. O'Donnell. Uh, kind of a preamble for what we're going to do on, uh, on, on Monday. One of the things we're trying to do here at the War Room is it is the, uh, it's, it's, it's the opening weekend of summer, but it's so much more. It's Memorial Day weekend. This is not Veterans Day. It's not thank you for your service. This is about this weekend, which will culminate with the commemoration on Monday at Arlington and at many military cemeteries, hopefully all the military cemeteries throughout the country and many other places, uh, is about the commemoration of our honored dead, the war dead of the United States of America. Short commercial break. Be back with Patrick K. O'Donnell in just a moment. Junk science. That's what the doctor called many of those fruit and vegetable supplements. Junk science because they use extracts of common produce department fruits and vegetables with few health benefits. Now look, I take Field of Greens because it's the whole organic fruit and vegetable, not a watered down supplement, and it's backed by a better health promise. Each ingredient in Field of Greens was scientifically chosen to support vital organs, like heart, lungs, and kidney health. Others support my immune system, blood pressure, metabolism, and healthy weight loss. I don't eat as healthy as I should. I got that. I know it. I own it. That's why I take Field of Greens. Like me, you'll probably look and feel healthier fast 
and have way more energy. And I mean way more energy. But your best proof will be at your next checkout checkup when your doctor says, hey, whatever you're doing, it's working. Keep it up. Let me get you started with 15% off. Visit fieldofgreens.com. That's fieldofgreens.com. And use promo code Bannon. That's promo code Bannon at fieldofgreens.com. Take action, action, action. Do that today. War Room. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. It's Memorial Day week. I'm here with Patrick K. O'Donnell. Is Had anything prepared these men in any way about the the ferocity of of combat i think you know when when um uh the spielberg uh, d-day movie came out that i think kind of shocked people the way it was shot on actually uh, you know hitting um uh the beach at normandy omaha beach the longest day in these other movies had never really brought the intensity of 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 combat and since that time we've had of course, All Quiet on the Western Front that came out this year, they're shot very differently. Um, but does even that expose the, 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 the frosty intensity of combat? That's one of the things I want to get across the audience. These men and women in your books, the, the men and women that we honor uh, this weekend and on Monday, uh, the, the, the level of violence is so incredible that it's hard to comprehend in, in these conflicts. And you go to these cemeteries and you see the beautiful, peaceful nature. The thing that's most, the most juxtaposed is, um, is um, um, Normandy because you go at this magnificent um, uh, cemetery, the American cemetery, and they brought essentially all the war dead there uh, were buried. And it's so calm, it's so beautiful, and its simplicity and the monuments are so powerful almost like you're back in ancient Rome or Greece. And, and of course, the crosses or the stars of David. Uh, and, but you're right looking on a beach that, and you have people there in the summer and they're, you know, there's kids running around and it's just, it's a beach and they're playing. And you think about it and you go, my God, there was a time that this was literally hell on earth, that you couldn't have gotten more intense than, 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 than a D-Day coming ashore in those first couple hours. And those men and women, or those guys, knew that they were going to be killed. It's just no, if your probability of surviving that would have been so low. Is anything preparing, or do you think Americans even today understand the intensity of, this, of, the, of the actual combat that people go through? Well, for the World War II generation, I think that there was some preparation in the sense that they were very hardened by the Great Depression. And that, was, that made people very tough because they had nothing. In some cases, they were starving. So the Great uh, Depression always... That came out in your interviews? Yeah, the, it did. With, with they were all... all they, some, of these, um, the, some of these guys would be part of the Civilian Conservation Corps, even at a young age as teenagers. They would leave their homes uh, to make a little bit of extra money for their family. And um, they would go through a, a very hardening process of, of you know not having any money or food. Um, so that... For the, for the World War II generation was absolutely a factor. For the elite units that I interviewed, it was also the training, and the training was incredibly intense. It was, you got some of the, the great just individuals from that generation in these units, the smartest, but also physically the toughest because of what they went through. 
just backbreaking what, in so many ways. We, we had to do it, would, from, it would build mental yeah, toughness. We, we would have to do that from a standing start for, in World War II. Remember the first campaign in North, North Africa at Kazarine. We had sent troops over, and they went over, I think, in the uh, Pearl Harbor was December of 41. Uh, the North African campaign, I believe, Torch, started in September of 42. So they had almost a year. But people were not trained at all. I mean, they, they kind of were throwing people into combat. The Germans were essentially laughing at us. And See, even the British said, this is such a disaster. It wasn't about the heroism. I mean, people got chopped up. And, and one of the criti- criticisms was that you didn't have enough junior officers that knew what they were doing, but you particularly didn't have field officers that had a clue of how to manage men. And it was just a, it was just a slaughterhouse. So from that, they, they, we got better at training people? My, my book, Beyond Valor, begins with 50 American Rangers at the D.E.P. raid. And that was, a, um, that was in August of 42. And that was a, a real training point for, for many of these men because they were mixed in with uh, British commandos. And it was a disaster in many ways. And these 50 men... Were then, it was a raid into France to find out. It was a raid into Dieppe, France, yeah. and uh, they wanted to test the German defenses of the Atlantic yeah. Wall. And what it did is it showed just how unprepared the Allies were for a, a naval assault. Because there was huge pressure by Vicksburg. the Russians to open a second front. That was what to, it was all about. To open a second front, you had to, you had to take on the Atlantic Wall. And what the British couldn't do politically... You couldn't take any more slaughter of first. You couldn't have another day, the first day of the Somme. You couldn't have another. The British politically churched on these guys would have been. So they were always hesitant to do it. They wanted to try some. We were certainly not prepared. And it took two years, two more years, basically, in, our, in order for us to be almost two years for us to be prepared for D-Day in, in uh, 1944. And, um, you know, I'm Could in you with imagine these- that army in North Africa in 42? torch at Kazarine Pass that could they the amazing thing is that is I don't know September October of 42 that that would be ready less than two years later to 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 hit the you know the landed D-Day I was I I interviewed the men that were the tip of the spear of of Operation Torch and this was the Darby's Rangers the guys the 50 Rangers that were in that raid on Dieppe were part of Darby's Rangers and they were part of the first Ranger Battalion that went in in Oran, and the um, I wear this every day. It's a St. Christopher's medal that was worn by a member of the five and a, and a scapula and a scapula. You got, Saint, du- you got double. You got double. Yeah, this this I wore this in Fallujah. I got it about uh, two weeks before I went, and both veterans said to me, "You're going to need this where you're going more than I do." And the the St. Christopher's medal. I've always worn it. was with a member of the 509 Parachute Battalion. Wow. And the 509 were the first parachute assault into North Africa. They took some airfields from the French. And they're a storied unit. I mean, it's just an amazing unit. This, the individual that I wore this with, he was of 850 men in the Battle of the Bulge, only 55 men were standing. They were all either wounded or killed. Um, they fought against an SS Panzer Division. Regiment, I should say, and um, they fought all through North Africa. They were at Anzio. I mean, it's a storied unit, and um, yeah, just that was. These are some of the people that are in my books. They're just 
you know, extraordinary Americans. How did they, given these elite units, because you did both, you've done both Darby's Rangers and you've done Merrill's Marauders. Merrill's, I have. Merrill's Marauders yeah. would be in the Burma, would be the I interviewed story. every Ranger. Uh, there were six Ranger battalions in uh, World War II. And then there was also Merrill's Marauders. And then something after that called Task Force Mars. And I interviewed veterans from every one of those units. You've interviewed all six battalions? Uh, every six, every, 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 from every six, uh, six, every, all six of the battalions plus Merrill's Marauders, Task Force Mars. And I would just go to these reunions and I'd spend four, three days just sitting there with, an, with a microphone and interviewing these guys. And that was just some of the most extraordinary experiences in my life. And those reunions are essentially gone. Do the they are. Well, the, do the children and grandchildren still Some of them, them carry them on. Yeah, they do. But for the most part, they are, they're gone. And it's, you know, I, it's a very sad thing because I spent a large portion of my life, you know, being with these veterans. And now they've, for the most part, my friends are tell me largely about, gone. Tell me about the reunions. They are. They're, they're powerful. You would just go to these things, and uh, th th usually no frills. They would. It was a you know a modest hotel, and these men would gather. And the the they coolest were from thing all, they were from all walks of life. All walks of life, um, from all parts of the United States too, and they would gather, and uh, they would they would remember, and in some cases it would be the first time they would remember. I would. I would I would trigger a lot of the memories and uh, that that they had never talked about in in fifty years or more. And I was the first person to talk about the war. Most of them would a lot of these guys would just think about the the happy memories and stuff. And I asked a whole assortment of things. And all the interviews I had um, were were exceptional in the sense that I was recommended by somebody else. So I always knew who would be the guy that would not embellish the stories or anything else. It was always the truth for the most part as they remembered it. And then I had the, the unit reports and everything else in my mind or I, with me and I could take some of that stuff and, and provide that in the questions I asked them. 4,000 World War II veterans, you, you've interviewed 4,000? Either orally through on the, on tape or through email, I created a system called eHistories. This is in the early to mid-90s when email and the Internet was sort of at the beginning, and I was using that to interview them, too. Are you the first, really, to do this? I mean, stuff least, and, and broke well, out in a very— There were others, yes. but the e thing, yeah, for sure. I, I created this thing called the Drop Zone Virtual Museum, which still is out there. And it's, it's, a, it's a museum that— focuses on the history of the men and their photos and their scrapbooks and all that stuff. If we don't, if we lose that, we've lost something very elemental to this country. You agree? Uh, absolutely. I think that our history is, in many ways, uh, just uh, as we look around, is, is, is disappearing. It's very important. Okay. It's our history is, 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 is who we are as Americans. We're going to deal with that when we get back. We're going to take a short commercial break. Uh, honored to have uh, the preeminent combat historian of his generation, Patrick K. O'Donnell, in the war room on this Memorial Day uh, weekend, the commemoration 
of our honored dead, the war dead of the uh, United States of America, our republic. For war room veterans, you know we have been all over this supply chain issue with China and medications and the uh, active pharmaceutical ingredients. China has a stranglehold on us where there's a way to break that. Jace Medical. I got an emergency medication kit from them. The FDA just declared a global shortage of medication and warned that critical antibiotics are in extreme short supply across the United States. But you know that. Because you're a viewer or listener of this show. Now, here's the action you can take to correct. Do yourself and your family a favor and get your Jace case right now. It's a pack of five prescription antibiotics you'll have on hand for common emergencies. Just visit jacemedical.com. That's Jace, J-A-S-E, jacemedical.com. Take a few minutes and fill out the form. Your information will be reviewed by a board-certified physician, and your medication will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. You'll be glad you have the Jace case. Go to Jace Medical, that's one word, J-A-S-E, medical.com, and enter code Bannon at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code Bannon at Jace, J-A-S-E, medical.com. You know what the problem is because you've watched the show. You can break, you can take action and break that problem by going to Jace Medical and get your Jace case today. Action, action, action. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome back. It's Saturday, 27 May in the year of Lord 2023. It is the uh, kickoff for our Memorial Day commemoration coverage. Uh, I'm with Patrick K. O'Donnell. Patrick is going to join me uh, for our Monday, as we've done now for, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years. Um, Patrick, you just said something before the last break. Tell me about, do you think we're in jeopardy of losing, number one, the memory of our history, and two, the connection to that memory? I think it's, I think absolutely that's the case. There's danger of that pretty much all around us in different flanks, in different ways. Either it be renaming military bases or just the interpretation of our founding, which is, you know, fundamentally, in some cases, it's, it's, um, it's anti-American. <clears throat> I'm all about, you know, looking at things from different angles, and that's certainly important in all cases. But um, I think there's a lot of, there's a, there's a great issue of uh, our history is, is in danger of being lost in many cases. I mean, all my work has really been about, it's always been like the story is the story. It's always been to try to, to preserve those stories and those legacies. And I don't, and I think the other danger that we have is there's a lot of people that put a bias, uh, their personal bias um, on, on history. I try to just, in most cases, uh, all cases actually, is just let the story tell itself and let the let the actors let the let actors the, let in the, the play. Yeah, the, the exactly. Themselves. And it's 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 their own words that 
that tell their story. It's it's those primary sources that my books are made up of, and I I see are there's they a, in in literature or in literary you know theory. Are they um, reliable narrators? Well, I think they have their own bias as well, of course, and and you have to sort of. You have to suss that out. You have to look at all of the the components and pieces as a historian uh, when you're putting together a book from different sources uh, to to tell something. But yeah, sure. There's there's always a bias from a certain perspective. When you talked about, you just said about l- l- changing the names of the base of the fort, Fort Hood and Fort Bragg come to uh, to mind immediately, and, and Fort Bragg, obviously, the honored 82nd Airborne. Um, and then you've got Fort Hood out uh, out west, right? Was it Third Armor uh, at Fort Hood? Yeah, there's this this changing of names. I mean, that that, that was a uh, an important phase in our history was a reconciliation. The coming together of the North and South begins at Appomattox. It's there that um, that Lee and Grant set this amazing example of, in many ways, forgiveness. And uh, the bases, in many ways, were a, p- a part of that reconciliation to, to give um, a tip of the hat to, to the vanquished, in this case. Um, so I, I think that's, that's it certainly is a, a, a real, a great danger in many cases, constantly renaming things and in, in, in looking upon our history in a different manner. Do you think today that the the combat history is is harder for younger generations to connect to, or is, is there still a section of men and women? I know, for instance, Mo, I dragged her every uh, Civil War battlefield, uh, and and she liked it. But I mean, I think she could have opted opted out of a few of them, went to Chancellorsville a couple of times, hundred, you know, Virginia, the the wilderness in Spotsylvania, where it's one hundred and four degrees in Virginia summer. She might have thought of some other things to do, but. Uh, obviously, it resonated with her. It's one of the reasons she went to West Point and then went to the to the hundred first afterwards. Um, do you think it's tougher to reach a younger generation that's on social media and TikTok? I think it certainly is. But I think I think the key though is is how how you connect with them. If you connect with them through story, and really the stories of these Americans in many cases are just exceptional, extraordinary. They revere their grandparents, their parents and their their grandparents and grandparents. Are they connecting to these World War II stories right now or the Korean War stories? I say it all depends. Um, You know, I mean, it depends on on who you're dealing with because there are, there is a certain segment of the population that does connect and then there are those that don't. It's about how history is taught. That's the another important thing. What have you learned about that? I think through story and connecting people with the past. And if you if you have an assignment in a class where you you ask somebody to to investigate, you know, a pension file of a revolutionary war soldier, then that that person might make a connection to just an average individual that it's a lot different than memorizing a date and a place. It's you know, you really get sort of a personal connection with history. Is the hardest war for us still to comprehend or to see about the valor? Is it, is it still Vietnam? Is Vietnam the hardest that you of all the ones you've done? What, what's the hardest to actually not bring to life, but to um, um, tell the stories of? Because is Vietnam still the hardest? I think that might be one of the the wars, but also I think our current wars 
Afghanistan and Iraq, I know from the guys that I've was with, they don't talk about it at all, ever, unless it's with among themselves. But even then, they don't. They Explain don't. that. What do you mean by that? I think there's a. I think that there's a, a fear of uh, misunderstanding, with people that weren't there in many cases. These were all volunteer forces. Yeah. There were no draft. So this is two, two, two wars there for 20 that years. That group roughly. is a silent group as well. They don't talk about it ever. And even even with within our groups, it's uh, not talked about either. They have the highest PTSD. Maybe not the highest, but now the PST is a defined thing. It's very it's high. So, and then 40 uh, suicides a day. Or very something. sadly, we've um, exceeded... Uh, Suicides in the unit that I was in, that and then we had in combat deaths in Fallujah. Oh, stop! In the unit, there are more suicides. You lost four in combat KIAs. Yeah, we had we had a, um, about over fifty that were killed in Fallujah. And there's now more suicides than there were. Hold it, the unit overall. Your your squad had four. Yeah, I'm talking about. Uh, Give me the unit. What was the unit? Three one. Three one. Yeah. Had fifty kill KIAs. And then there's now more. Yeah, there's a. It's a very. It's a very sad thing. I mean, is that an extraordinary number? Fifty killed in action in in Fallujah. It was even higher than that, I believe. But yeah. And you've had more. So you've not that unit of Marines. I mean, this is kind of the elite of the elite. You're telling me of combat Marines. There are now more suicides than there were. That's what I've been told. Is this back to a lack of of of? Um, belief in the country is this uh, re religious uh the drop in religious belief and outward participation in religion is it's hard to say i think family? it's i think it's a it's a situation that's all it's all based on um the individual and how they they process the events but i think the other thing is you've had you know economic downturns and you know people have looked back um, at different things. We never talk about those suicides as part of the honored dead. We don't talk about them as the casualties of these wars. They're not added as the casualties. Should they be? I think so. As everybody's, you know, they've been touched by war. It's just true sacrifice uh, uh, that, I mean, there's, there's, there's so much, a tremendous amount of sacrifice goes on for those that have served and those that also the families of those that have served. Everyone. When you go to Section 60, and Section 60 is the section they open up for the Iraq and the Afghanistan war dead, you see that in the younger families. I mean, Andrew Breitbart, the reason one of the things of Andrew Breitbart's change is he bought a house that overlooked the National Military Cemetery that's right there in Westwood. It's right in the middle of Los Angeles. In fact, the U.S. Open that will be played is just right down, is really right down within a quarter of a mile of the cemetery is beautiful and overlooking it one of the things that got andrew who didn't come from a military background and family had not been in the military really had no involvement was to see the young families come back for the section they opened up uh for the for the burial of the honored dead in afghanistan and iraq were right there in back of where his 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 backyard on the cliff would look down over it and see these young families and it started to have an impact on him of the sacrifice of the war was more than just the warrior itself. It was the entire family. It was. And that's what I've seen. It's a, a cradle-to-grave kind of experience that, you know, you see these just extraordinary sacrifice on the part of Gold Star families, everybody else that, that have involved in that, in, the, in that, 
those those warriors that have given their entire you know last full measure of devotion for our country. What um, d- this weekend? You know, it's gotten to be the kickoff of, uh, and we'll talk a little bit about this more on Monday. It's got it's the kickoff of summer. Obviously, it's gotten to be a big, um, you know, with the car sales and all the sales and people going to the beach. Do you believe we've lost the memory of what Memorial Day is really uh, supposed to be about? Particularly when they shifted it from the thirty first of May to the to the last Monday in the month, so you got a, a three day weekend, and now people make it a four day weekend. I just say it depends on who you asked. You know the the. the the groups that I follow, the people that I'm still with, in touch with from Iraq, they're very much in touch with the meaning of Memorial Day and how powerful it is. And they remember the sacrifices of those, those young men. Has, um, you, did, you did the book you were embedded with, but you haven't done to date, maybe I'm wrong, you haven't done another book about either Iraq and, or Afghanistan. No, I wrote... Um, the book that I wrote was We Were One uh, Shoulder to Shoulder with the Marines who were in Fallujah and that was my book but it was not a book of, it was not a um, personal memoir in any way it was about eight best friends that go to Fallujah in 1st Platoon 3-1 and uh, it's what they experience and then I intersected that experience uh, in, in the battle in some of their toughest battles in uh, an area of Fallujah called Queens, where it was house to house against um, a Star Wars bar of international jihadists, including Chechens, you know, people from multiple net, 16 or 17 different countries that were people there. People don't realize Fallujah. To kill Americans, and, basically. And the Marine Corps would tell you. One of the toughest battles the Marine Corps has ever had. A city of 250,000 people, they, a lot of the people left. Every bad element. They try to draw, draw the American military strategy. Draw all the, draw the Star Wars bar in there. Yeah, we'll and they were on highly we'll trained, but they were also on. We saw liquid adrenaline in most cases, or methadone, or they were jacked up on drugs. They were on uh, many of them. Yeah, we saw the syringes all over the place. So you had super fighters in many ways, guys that I saw the entire building collapse on people, and they're still firing their AKs underneath the rubble. Just uh, they would take enormous amounts of bodily damage and still keep fighting. Yeah, they were just a, an incredibly bunkered enemy that was determined and very, uh, very determined. For one of the great battles of the Marine Corps, it's it's in the largest battle or the most intense battle, set piece battle, only probably topped by Bakhmut, the siege of Bakhmut, which is now and it's you know coming up on one year. It doesn't get the type of coverage you think it was. Your book is, I think, probably the most prominent book about Fallujah. My book is a, a very unique book in the sense that it's a relic of the battle. And what I mean by that is all the oral histories, or most of them, were done at night when we finished an engagement or a couple of weeks afterwards. In the moment. Itself, yeah. In the moment. So it was, it's raw emotions and salty it's it's an incredible it's it's an incredible oral history in many cases in their own words of what happened and it's and then a couple weeks later we did uh you know group interviews and we diagrammed every every ambush everything 
a short break. So it's incredibly detailed. We're going to be back with uh, the combat historian Patrick O'Donnell in the war in a moment. In my younger days, I was a naval officer on a destroyer. In fact, I was the A-gang officer in charge of all the engineering systems that were not main propulsion. And one of those was air purification. And I can tell you, the standards of the United States Navy are second to none. If all home air purifiers are the same, why did the U.S. Department of Defense select EnviroCleanse to protect and purify the air on board our Navy ships. Because of Viracleanse, advanced mineral technology goes beyond ordinary HEPA filters to destroy airborne illness causing cold and flu viruses, including COVID. And Viracleanse is the new science in air purification. And now you can order one for your home. This is how you help stop colds and flus from taking your whole family down. This is how you destroy allergy and flaming toxins and mold from the air your family breathes. In fact, this hospital-grade technology is so powerful that it promises far fewer colds and allergies and better sleep. Visit ekpure.com. That's ekpure.com and use the code STEVE for 10% off your EnviroCleanse home purification unit. You also receive a free air quality monitor, plus fast, free shipping. That's $150 savings right there. That's ekpure.com, code Steve. ekpure.com, code Steve. Getter has arrived. The new social media taking on big tech, protecting free speech, and canceling cancel culture. Join the marketplace of ideas, the platform for independent thought has arrived. Superior technology. No more selling your personal data. No more censorship. No more cancel culture. Enough. Getter has arrived. It's time to say what you want the way you want. Download now. Hello, I'm Steve Stern, CEO of Flagshirt.com, a third-generation, veteran-owned small business. I believe that the American way of life is for all of us. I'm asking you today to visit flagshirt.com. Help keep the American dream alive. Be a flag waver. Carry a nation's heritage. Use coupon code ACTION10 for 10% off site-wide and buy a flag shirt today. Action, action, action. Okay, so I'm going to break an exclusive here, and that is you've been researching for the last... Five, five years. Five years. Yeah. Five years, you, and look, this guy is a national treasure. Because I, as people know, I'm a voracious reader. I read it all. His books are read like novels. Um, for five years, you've been researching, for the first time, the Civil War. I don't want to tell the story at all. It's actually, it. I've, since my childhood, I've been in the yes. Civil War. But, but this is the first time, is, as a professional, I've dedicated yes. yourself to a project. If now seeing in, in, in studying the combat of the Civil War, Patrick K. O'Donnell, where do you rank in ferocity of battle? World War II, World War I, Revolutionary War, Civil War, the, the Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam. Give me your rankings. Number one, the Civil War. Number one, the Civil War. Yeah, because it was so close combat. The level of intensity was amazing. Um, just ferocious hand to hand. Had the technology overtaken the tactics? Yeah, it, it, that was the thing. They didn't quite get it. 
I mean, the rifle musket changes everything. They're using Napoleonic tactics. But I think I think everything, in many ways, much of what we've seen in textbooks, are there's a lot of myth to it. In other words, what I mean by that is one of the things that I you'll come away with when you read the book, it's quite a different look at the Civil War. It's a very different perspective. Can't get into the details. No, I don't want to talk about but, but, but when, when it. Yeah, go ahead. What I say, what it, what it wasn't was just a situation where the North had an overwhelming number of men and supplies and equipment and overwhelmed the South. It wasn't the case at all. In fact, it's really a quite a miracle that um, the war ended up the way it did. A total miracle. The political yeah. comp- complexity of this. We'll, we'll In get which, more. yeah. This book, I can tell you, ladies and gentlemen, will be a blockbuster. His other twos have been bestsellers. This is going to be a, I mean, big bestsellers, but this is going to be a blockbuster. Um, the technology, both Lee and Patton both said um, it, it is, it is uh, good that war is so horrible or we would get to love it too much. Is that seen by at the general level, but not seen, but that that fails to resonate at the private or the person in the trenches level where it's hell all the time? It certainly resonated in the Civil War. In fact, many Americans looked at it as a forever war that would never end, and they they wanted it to end. And uh, yeah, this this book that I've written will bring that to the the reader's attention. Okay, I don't want to give any more away. Just say it's not on pre-sale. It's, we got a, about a year to go, but we'll have uh, we'll make sure we do this right. Uh, how do people? First off, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for Monday. Patrick will be here on Monday as we do our I don't know ninth or tenth annual session with Patrick on a, on a um, on the War Room Memorial Day special, and we'll really be spending time about Arlington National Cemetery, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, all of it. Uh, so I want to thank you uh, in advance for that. It's an honor to be here, Steve. I, I really always appreciate it. You're well, a national treasure. No, You've done amazing stop, stuff. Stop, stop. I get the easiest job in the world. I provide a platform for the best people in the country, which are guys like you, men and women like you. How do people – I want to make sure everybody can get to your writings. I want to make sure everybody can get to your books. I want everybody to get to your website, the drop zone, everything you've done, the 4,000 interviews you've done. You're, you're a treasure because you went – when nobody was doing it, and we have that now in posterity. If you had not done that, it would not. This is what I say about human agency. If Patrick K. O'Donnell's a young person not going to done it, it'd been lost. And those oral histories are everything. That's what we have really to. That's the like Homer. That's the ancient storytelling that connects one generation to the next. And, and it was because of you it happened. So where do people go to get all your content? Um, my uh, website is patrickkodonnell.com. And then my um, my Twitter account is at Combat Historian, and that is also my uh, my Getter account as well. At, at Combat at Historian. At Combat Historian. I follow you on Getter. I, I'm not on I'm not on the Twitter. Um, well, thank you for thank you for doing this. And uh, five years of research. The book will come out in the spring of 2024, so it'll be couldn't be more timely, right? Of the presidential election, everything the country will be on the line then, so it couldn't be more. Uh, 
can be better, and you'll do your natural book tours. You do that. Are you doing any speaking engagements? You can tell people. I'm about? always doing speaking and, and, engagements, and people can see that on the website. You yeah. notify where you. I, I'm I'm a I'm a professional speaker, and I'm I've been I'm constantly engaged in different speaking engagements. Yeah, Patrick, you don't want to miss him if he if he speaks. Okay, uh, we're going to leave you with a. Uh, some uh, images and uh, music uh, that is appropriate for this weekend. Uh, we'll be back here on Monday. Uh, Patrick uh, K. O'Donnell and myself will be talking about Memorial Day itself, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, Arlington National Cemetery. Captain Bannon will actually join us for part of that. So until Monday, uh, we're, this has been the word. I want to thank uh, Real America's Voice, the t folks in Denver, my crack team here, everybody for putting this together. Uh, until Monday. Uh, I will be up on Getter for the entire weekend. Uh, may actually do a couple of Getter lives, so just check it out. Thank you very much. We'll see you Monday. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out.